Hey everyone, welcome to 100 Words or Less, the podcast. This is episode number three, and uh, we're rolling. It feels good. I really like to be able to put these out on a regular basis, and uh, so far I've gotten some cool feedback from everybody, and I really appreciate all of you taking the time to check it out. And uh, yeah, so follow us on Twitter, at 100wordspodcast. Or you can email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, give us show suggestions, um, what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to see. Because uh, yeah, I want to make sure that you know we're doing fun stuff on here. And that's exactly what I want to be doing to please the people, so to speak. Um, and also, when you visit iTunes, subscribe to our podcast. That way you'll get new episodes every time we publish them. And drop us a review as well. The more reviews we get, the higher placed our podcast gets, and hopefully the more people listen. Before we got to the interview today, I wanted to bring in a friend who I did my previous podcast, First World Problems, with, Mr. Scott Arnold. Hello. So we wanted to keep Scott involved with my friendship, my life, and my cultural recommendations and so uh, he's going to be appearing occasionally on the show and uh, talking to us about cool stuff that you need to be into. So, Scott. Yeah. You, <laughs> I, I know you're typing, so I, I don't want to interrupt you. Are you ready for my recommendations? I am ready. Scott wanted to call these quick hits as well, which is a completely fine thing for me. So uh, what are your quick hits? First, I have a book, which, although it's early 2012... It's just, this book is suspected to be the, I don't know what the literary awards are, <laughs> but pope? this book pope? is just, Isn't it uh, uh, Peabody? No, that's like... Uh, I think there, there's like the Pulitzer. Right. I think there's that's a whole for, bunch. Pulitzer, but, I think, is for journalism. I think you're right. Yeah. But anyway, so yes, this could claim that that top prize, whatever it's called. This book will be the historical top prize of the year. Ooh. So I'm told. Okay. Hit me. The, the book is called The Hemlock Club. Okay. And it is about Athens in the time of Socrates. Okay. And I had never paid attention in high school about <clears throat> any of that stuff. <laughs> um, I saw 300. Um, <laughs> that, 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 that sparked your, your historical interest? Yeah, that's about as close as I got. <laughs> and this book is about, so Socrates is obviously the philosopher who kind of shaped a lot of Western thought. And sort of the the godfather of like you know question everything and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And he is a guy who never wrote anything down. So everything you know about him or what or know that he said is from a second party. And this book aims to sort of tell the story of him through the city and his surroundings and that sort of thing. Wow, that sounds. Uh, I had no idea that he didn't write anything down. I did take a philosophy course in, in uh, college, and I did, like you, I didn't give a shit about any of that in high school, but when you do like peel away one or two layers behind some of these philosophers, you're like, oh, wow, these dudes are obviously pretty cool. Yeah. So, you know, it was a time where there were you know, like 200 different religions that were kind of more like cults, and he was sort of just like, oh, kind of spoke to the more humanistic types of problems in life and how we could kind of directly control those. 
Very cool. How, is it a uh, is it a very long book? Um, it's like four hundred pages. Oh, that's not bad. It's awesome. Nice. Very cool. I have you finished it, or are you in the midst of it? I'm in the midst of it. Very cool. I have a record as well. Oh, love it! Hit us. This is a band that I know nothing about except that I heard their music on someone's Tumblr, and they are called Tiger and Woods. Okay. <laughs> a very uh, subtle reference to the golf for Tiger Woods. Very subtle. <clears throat> their record is their their record wiki and leaks is available for free on SoundCloud. Interesting. You're, what's uh, what genre would you put them in? It's like electronic, almost disco-y. No words. You're a big uh, you're a big fan of like. Would you compare it to a band like uh, Calm Trues? Yeah, very Comtrues esque. Got it. Um, yeah, so listen to that a lot. They could they could be playing a side stage at Coachella at some point in the future. Uh, they they would not be seen at Coachella, Ray. They would they're way above Coachella. Oh yeah, that, that's true. They'd be defined as sellouts if they did that. Absolutely. <laughs> well, maybe maybe State Farm Insurance can pay for their flights out there, and they would be uh, less of a sellout. They, they wouldn't talk about that though. <laughs> That's true. They wouldn't promote it. They just pull up on a skateboard or something. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, that's, what about you? What have you been reading? <clears throat> uh, I'm currently in the midst of Bill Simmons. He's a uh, a podcaster, ESPN writer, um, lover of pop culture. I'm in the middle of his um, basketball book. It. I've never. I honestly have never read a larger book than this. This thing is like maybe 1,400, 1,500 pages. It's absurd. Um, and I'm, I've am i been reading it for like maybe three weeks and I'm like halfway through it. It's unbelievable. Um, you just don't, you don't really think about how much detail one person can get into about a sport until <laughs> they actually write a 1,400, 1,500 page book about basketball. So Yeah, a lot of thought went into that. It, it, it's a, it, You feel like it's like cultural criticism. Like this could be held up as like a person's thesis paper. That's, yeah, that's how intense it is. So I'm I'm currently reading that and enjoying it because it's now approaching basketball playoff season and uh, yeah, that's fun. So, well, Scott, thank you very much for uh, checking in with us and giving us some smart things to listen to and read. My guest this week is Mr. Justin Smith from the band Graf Orlock, Dangers, and Ghost Limb, as well as doing a record label called Vitriol Records. I've known Justin for years. Uh, our old bands used to play together uh, a lot, and then we would randomly see each other on tour, and uh, it's just one of those things that both of us have been active for so many years in music, and um yeah, our paths always keep running into each other, and it's very cool because he's always been a great dude, and uh, now he's doing some really, really interesting things musically um, from all the bands that I mentioned, and then obviously his own entrepreneurial spirit by starting up a record label. So Justin came over to my house one morning, and uh, we hung out and talked. So here it is. Hope you enjoy. Super weird to think about, especially with like touring and shows and something. Like, there's people that, yeah, that you know for like ten years and you don't know their last name. 
Well, yeah, you know them by like their first name and band name. You don't know how old they are, right? Totally. You don't know what anybody does, like aside from being in a band. Totally. Which is kind of like I don't know. I always think it's kind of cool in a lot of ways, but then uh-huh. if you, when you try to like get past that and try to not just be like show friends, right? Then you have to like push through that shit. There has to be, well, yeah. There has to be that additional layer of like effort. And it's not even so much effort, I think. It's just a matter of, like, time. Because, obviously, all of us have so many things going on. And it's, like, unless that person lives, like, next door to you, mm-hmm. sometimes it's not easy enough to be, like, oh, yeah, let's get coffee and, you know, whatever. Yeah. And it's, like, sometimes when you do that, all you do is talk about, like, whatever the immediate common interests are. Where it's, like, yeah, like, you know, whatever. If you and I were to have had, you know, a meal in 2000, you know, 2000, we'd be talking about both of our collective bands, like yeah. plans and stuff like that. But yeah, so that's what will be fun for me. But so right. with that being said, let's roll. Yes, we are rolling. Oh. Um, <laughs> with that being said, so were you always born and raised in Southern California? And, yep. Yeah. I lived, um, I grew up in La Habra. Oh, wow. So, so you're just, you're there. Yeah. So I currently live eight miles from where I grew up. Wow. <laughs> And um, I've lived two places in my life. Okay. One, where I grew up. Okay. Two, where I live now. So Wow. So I, you just transitioned immediately into the... I mean, not immediately, but obviously you just, like, moved basically down the street. <laughs> yeah, I moved just in, like, you know, 15 minutes away. Or just side streets. But... Yeah. Um, I don't... Yeah, I never really moved out when I was younger. Right. Because I was gone all the time. Yeah, there's no reason to. So... By the time I got to be kind of a, an adult, yeah, I was like, I'm out. Right. Well, yeah, and I, uh, I assume one of the reasons that you obviously, well, compounded by the fact that you were not home a lot of the time and obviously an expense issue where it's like, why yeah. would I move out when I'm not there? It's like paying rent for like a space. Storage. Space. Yeah. And then I ended up moving out and taking all my friends with me into my house, which was four years of. Nice annoyance, I suppose. Yeah. It'd be pleasant. <laughs> I'm sure at times it's absolute chaos, and then there's other times where it's like, I would like to kind of have my own space away from all these people I spend all the time with. Yeah, it was it was weird because uh, it was like, it was like Graf Warlock and Ghostland. We basically almost, the whole band. It was your house, were, basically. Yeah. We're in one house, and then we have golden practice space in the garage, and it's like, Someone was practicing every day, and then you go on tour, and you spend, like, a month together, and you come back, and you live together, and then you go on tour again, and it's, like, miserable. miserable. <laughs> it's not like, I just, I remember one of the, uh, mo like, one of the mo I don't I wouldn't say most difficult, but just, like, the bummer, like, when you're ending tour, and you have to drop everyone else off at their, dude. Last stop. The worst. Every time, man. The worst, <laughs> where you're just, like. You're thinking in your head, you're like, all right, I have to drop this dude off in Corona. I have to drop this person off. You're just like, you know, you, at that time you've been driving for like 18 hours. And, and you're thinking like 500 miles ahead. Totally. You're, like, you're in Texas and you're like, God. That I have to go home last because the van goes to my house. Right, right. So I'm sure that was one <laughs> convenient part about all yeah, you guys living. Get out. <laughs> you guys just pull up and you're like, all right, see you later. Um, but since then, in the last year or so, yeah, about a year. Uh-huh. Uh, everybody kind of like Did, split up. Sure. Adam moved, and uh, Neil from Ghostland, he moved back up to the Bay for like he finished his MA. So uh, 
now. Yeah. Room's gone. Nice. So now it's now it's your own place, so to speak. It's pleasant when people come back and stay. So well, yeah. You know, it's but it's only pleasant because I'm not there all the time. Right. It's <laughs> you're like it's nice to visit. Like thank you, but I'm glad that you don't live here anymore. <laughs> Right. The so you living well yeah I was I was saying so you living obviously with uh, with your parents I presume that they were obviously like supportive in some way shape or form with what you were trying to accomplish yeah they were always pretty cool I yeah mean, like, did they understand did they have any concept of like what you were doing in the sense of like yeah they went to like I mean very early on they went to like some coup shows like, sure in, like ninety eight right and uh, then every now and then I could get them to go. Maybe like once every couple of years, I could get him to go to show. Like, right? Maybe last year, or the year before, I got him to come see his play show at Junior Action on my birthday, like for my birthday, and then I called him out. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Well, you have you have to do that with a parent <laughs> because they they get no matter what you may th- or they may think of your music, they would they would still have a sense of like pride. Where it's like, oh yeah, like yeah. there's my son or my daughter or whatever. People circle pity. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but no, they've always. They've always been pretty good. I mean, I was there until, like, I was 24 or something. But that being said, like, our relationship got better as time went on because I was gone so much. And uh, they were always, like, cool about the music. I mean, they were really where it's annoying. Right. Abrasive music. <laughs> right. I mean, it's better than being doing something stupid. Right, right. Well, that's what I, I always find. I always find it so difficult when people obviously have a strained relationship with their family and then obviously they're doing the touring band thing where it's just like, man, it sucks you had to move out when you're 18 because it's like, I, I, from a financial perspective, it's just like, it, it's so nice to be able to just like come home to a home that's there and you know your mom and dad are there and it's like, oh, that's so nice. It's even like, it's weird to think about it. Like now when you, you come back from, like, this last summer, I was gone for two months. Right. Doing, like, two tours. And you get home, and it's, like, when all that stuff is just on you, mm-hmm. it, you have, like, it takes, like, two weeks to get your life back together. Totally. Especially when you go straight back to work. And right. Like, what the fuck am I doing? Right. Yeah, it's like you, you have to pick up all the pieces of the stuff that's obviously been, quote-unquote, left behind. <laughs> or, like, you know, like, all, all the bills you weren't able to pay immediately and all that type of stuff. It's weird. Yeah, that's, that's adult, adult shit, I guess. Yeah, like, but I guess that's part of it. I mean, that's a trade-off being able to go and play for like sixty days and then come back. Right, you're like, it's not too bad. Like, usually, usually people obviously are able to take like a two-week vacation in the summer, and essentially once a year. Right, exactly. But and even though touring with a band obviously isn't exactly a vacation, <laughs> there's a lot of hard work involved. Um, so, do you think like the you know, obviously since you've traveled a ton, like, do you think there's any, uh, do you have any burning desire to obviously like live anywhere else or anything like that? You're just like, yo, I really like Southern California. This, uh, I actually talked to Adam about this quite a bit is that touring in the U S all that, that has made me done is not want to live anywhere else in the U S I agree. There's like places I like, I like Louisville. I like Boston. I like mm-hmm. New York. I would like to spend some more time in New York. Mm-hmm. You know, like... Like the city proper? Yeah. Yeah. Like longer... I mean, I've spent, like, little chunks here and there, but... Right. I like Portland. I like Seattle. But when it comes down to, like, long-term living somewhere, Mm -hmm. mostly also because I ride a motorcycle, I don't have a car. So... Got it. It's, like, next to impossible to do that all year. Right, yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you'd have to put that away for a while. But in terms of internationally, I, like... I want... I still am planning at some point to, like, go 
live in Berlin for a while. Yeah. I really like Berlin. Sure. And um, Tokyo is super cool, but I think it would be like overload on my brain. Oh my gosh, yeah. Especially food-wise. So Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't even know where to begin with that. You got to be too careful with what you eat there because, I mean, if you have any dietary constraints, it's like next to impossible if you don't have a Japanese person with you all the time. It is. It's a landmine everywhere. <laughs> um, so with your parents being supportive and stuff like that, as you were growing up, like, you know, how, you know, how was like high school and like, when did you first kind of get introduced to like independent music and what was sort of your, your gateway into that? Uh, let me think. I know. Uh, I got into, I'm just going to call it punk. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> For lack of a better term. <laughs> uh, when I was like in fifth grade. Okay. That's pretty early. It was actually via Metallica. That the good introduction. Metallica, because uh, my I had an older brother mm-hmm. that's like four years older than me, and I started playing guitar. Um, so I would start actually playing guitar and play more Metallica songs, so he could like solo over them. Oh, so you the rhythm? You were yeah. like, yo, you can shred. I'll so, back you up. Yeah, right when I started, it was like straight in metal, which I'm like glad is like a good way to start because most people will start playing like kind of weak shit. Sure. Three chord riffs, right. And, and then it just, in the long run, kind of makes you better, I think. Like, it prepares you more. Yeah, you start off really hard, and then you can work backwards from there. <laughs> and uh, so Metallica <laughs> covered this Misfit song. Sure. Or a couple Misfit songs, like, um, on this... On that Garage Inc. box set or whatever. Or was it that... that? It, was, it was before that. It was, like, during the Black Album, they had a bunch of singles. And oh, like, yeah. That's right. Song. Yep. And I listened to that, and I was like, what is this? <laughs> yeah. Because I all, I already listened to Danzig, too. Okay. Danzig. Got it. And then I went and bought, like, I would go over to this mall on the weekends. I would, mm-hmm. like, take my allowance, and I'd ride my bike over there, and every weekend I'd buy a tape nice. from Sam Goody. Of course. <laughs> and it was like, I remember, because i do chores and stuff, and I would get 10 bucks. Yeah. And then I would have to, like, get 81 cents for the tax, because all the tapes were nine ninety nine. <laughs> and I would go, and I bought, like, every every Misfits tape I could. Mm. And then I bought all the Dead Kennedys tapes I could. Amazing. Minor, minor threat tape. And, like, you were just buying, I mean, obviously the Misfits you were buying for a reason, but the rest of the stuff you were just kind of buying, like, on a whim? Or they like, kind of, like, started connecting in my brain. Got it. it. It's weird, because when, you know, like, all the gateway stuff, when you're, like, a kid, you... Mm. Uh, it's really easy to be like drawn into like punk uniforms. Of course. You know, it's like, and you see all these bands that people listen to, or like there's, you have this list in your brain of bands you should like. Right. But yeah. You're like, this is the prerequisite of what I need to get yeah. into. Yeah. So you check them all out. And, um, so you were kind of going down the list. Yeah. <laughs> figuring out what you like and stuff. And yeah. Like, so when I was in junior high, I like really got into all, all that stuff. Is like, that like when you started to go to shows and everything like that? Yeah. Yeah. I think. Was it, and you picked up, like you picked up the guitar for no reason in particular or your brother was just like, Hey, you should do this. Cause this would be fun. No, we both got, you know, like when you get, um, like kid presents. Yeah. And I got like this little tiny acoustic guitar. Ah, I was, like, six. Got it. Okay. And like way back when my dad played, but he didn't really. And then mm-hmm. my brother and I both got him. He started playing his and then I started playing mine. Got it. And then from then on, I got like real guitars. When sure. I was, like, in junior high. And- That's funny. I just imagine like, you say a little guitar, I know what you mean, but for some reason I'm just, my immediate thought is like a little ukulele. Yeah, it's pretty small. So I still have it too. Really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then from then, like, so that was like, and there's like kind of a disconnect for me and uh-huh. when I was that age because I liked punk and I still like metal. Sure. And then when I was like in, at the very end of eighth grade, I got into Sigma at all. 
and that like made sense because it was metal and punk. Right. Those the crossover, so to speak. Like, right. Minor Threat was a hardcore band. I mean, in their capacity and contemporary, they were hardcore. Right. Band, right. It wasn't like heavy. Yeah. Too. So that's why that all that stuff always appealed to me, and then I was like, you know. You know, propaganda and stuff like that. Which sure, is still one of my favorite bands. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. The um, yeah, it's funny because so many people have so many people have similar experiences, but just like different gateways. Where it's like you know they have those touchstone bands where it's just like yeah, like this is how I got into this, and then you're you know everything else follows from there. Yeah, uh, Kyle, the singer of Gorlock. Yeah, he somehow from like uh, someone that he knew when he was younger gave him like five tapes that he didn't want and one of them was minor threat and then from then on he was just like yeah well okay this is my life now (laughs) and it's just so funny because i always i always think of like people that uh i mean i i say lucky because i think we are lucky to be involved in something that's like so even though it is more mainstream than it ever has been it's still like a secret society in a lot of ways because people still don't have a concept of what it means like you know whatever people you work with like when you say like you go on tour normals Right, normals, yeah. They think you're playing like a Olympic auditorium right. somewhere. <laughs> and then, so it's like, I wonder, you know, people just getting introduced to music through like the most, you know, whatever, using a bad example, like a band like Sugar Ray. Like, you know, someone in like ninth grade gets given like, you know, a CD of Sugar Ray and it's just like, they have such a different experience of like, you know, because there's no, there's no scene obviously built in with that where it's like they just get into the music and they're just like, yeah, dude, that song flies awesome. And like, there's nothing, right, exactly. It's like, there's nothing really, there's so many barriers for them to feel like they can be a part of something. And then, yeah. Yeah. It's it's really, yeah. Something to think about, especially like scenes. And once you start going to shows, it's just like all over. Yeah. Because there's, it's also back to what you said about it being more mainstream than it ever has been. I feel like it, it totally is. It's kind of like separated in a weird way. Yeah. But I feel like around a little bit after 2000, with mm-hmm. all the bands from around here of course. Were like getting huge. Yep. That's when I felt like it was like really, it wasn't like exciting for me or anything like that, but I acknowledge that I, I thought it was like this big thing. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I agree. I think it's pal- it was totally palpable and there was a reason why obviously so many bands came around during that time and we're doing like so many different things like, yeah it's weird it totally is and then that kind of like what do you want to call it like a lot of metal metalcore thing just right. got like so like inundated with like, of course because it was became marketable in some way yeah yeah and like there's those bands that got big that from that time period like i don't know Unearth or as are they dying or whatever. Right. They still sound exactly the same. One hundred percent. That yeah, they yeah. did ten years ten ago. Years, exactly. When they got big. It's just like Yeah. They, there's like there's different variations of what they do, but ninety percent of it is still the same. Like, you know, if they put out their newest record ten years ago, it, it you know, it could have been obviously ahead of its time in some respects, but it still would have been like, Oh yeah, that makes sense, like right now. <laughs> yeah, it, like with Back to some of the bands from around here, it's like, yeah. I was never a big, like, 18 Visions person. Sure. But, uh, and I didn't like, like, the band they turned into. Sure. But, I mean, the more fashionable, mainstream thing, sure. But you gotta give it to them for at least, I mean, you could argue that they were, like, trying to make it or whatever, but you gotta yeah. give it for, for trying to, like, change it up. Totally. 100%. And then, I mean, it eventually failed, but yeah. it was like, no bands would do that. No. Yeah. It's like, they, they had... 
once they started to see what was happening and obviously introducing an element of style to what, you know, aggressive music, like, you know, bands, <clears throat> bands didn't generally do that around here. So. It was like STP with weird, like distortion parts. 100%. <laughs> breakdowns. Yeah, exactly. Um, so obviously, like you were saying, you know, you're, you and your brother playing guitar and everything, like what, what was your, because I presume that As Hope Dies was not your first band. Actually, In Reply, which became... That's, yeah, that, sorry, I, I know, yeah. Oh, no, no, no I mean... <laughs> yeah, In Reply. Just a little bit earlier. Right. That was the first, like, uh, band that I played shows with. So it's, like, the same people. That's pretty spectacular, because usually people have... Like, I mean, no joke, because I remember my first memory of In Reply was seeing you guys at Showcase, and I really can't peg down what year. But, I mean, it, it was when you guys had that the split CD with Who's to Blame. Oh, yeah. But I just remember... Like, no, this could have been, like, very beginning of 2000 or 99. Yeah, it could have been. And I just remember... I remember watching you guys and being like... Because, I mean, by that time, you know, been playing with Taken for a few years, and you know just as well as everybody where it's like, if you're walking into a you know a mostly local show, you're like, I'm really not going to see very many good bands. Like yeah. if I've never heard of them yeah. before, and so I just remember walking and being like, that like wow, that's that's pretty good. Like I see like where you guys were coming from, and I just remember being kind of taken aback with that. Be like, wow, like there's a very rare occasions where you just walk in on something and be like, that wasn't bad. So you're lucky the fact that you didn't have to play in terrible bands because everyone always has that like one or two bands before the band that like actually starts to do something uh, <laughs> so you're you're lucky there. Yeah, I, I suppose <laughs> yeah I mean I, I'm sure you can I'm sure you can look back and listen to the in reply stuff and oh, be like sometimes yeah <laughs> so but, how, how did the, how did you kind of tr- get into that band like you know where you who are you friends with and how did that all transpire I have a friend uh, named Troy who I play music with still okay. in different capacities Mm-hmm. And he um, was friends with all those guys, like Adam and Dave and Got Josh. They okay. went to like a different school. Ah, okay. And, um, so that was and, the bridge between the two crowds. Yeah, but they practiced like over by where I lived. And I was like, I had known him since I was like 13. I guess I was 17. Mm-hmm. And they, they like, when I met them, they were playing like face-to-face type stuff. Okay, yeah. They have like one demo that's like, Super funny. <laughs> I, I don't think I ever heard that. I knew that there was a, there was a style change, but I didn't know it was that they had that that you guys they had actually anything recorded. <laughs> yeah. So I came in kind of in that, or when they were trying to like trying to like kind of transition. Sure. But I was looking to play in a band, and they needed like a guitar player because Josh is like criminally inept. Right. <laughs> criminally <laughs> inept. That's... Like any instrument, but sure. I love him. He's just a lazy asshole. I I agree. <laughs> And, uh, so, and I was into all that stuff, like, at the time, like, I guess we were, like, mutually into Strife and, like, Shalud and, sure, sure. um, Secret All, and I, like, heavier stuff than they were into, but when uh-huh. we put it together, it started, like, going in that direction. Interesting. And, uh, I was in that band, maybe, I mean, we started playing together and, like, writing songs and stuff, and we played together maybe for, like, four months, and then played the first show that we played at Coos. Okay, and that's when you started to play out. Yeah. Like, did you, like, prior to that, like you said, you were looking to play in a band, like, was just, you know, people in your high school, like, you know, was there, was there kind of no one around that was, like, an immediate fit? And then that's why, obviously, like, this sort I, of... Yeah, I don't know. It's, like, there were people that played, there was a couple bands yeah. that, like, totally sucked. Of course. <laughs> and, uh, 
um, we would just like, like all my friends and I would just like fuck around and play like, yeah, like fake punk covers or whatever. Yeah, sure. We would just make like the worst songs because it was fun. Right. We had a a fake band called Murder and the Suicides. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's good. Yeah, you that that technically could have been your first band, even though I obviously never, like you said, it was fake. And it was it was like fun. So, but even though it was like fake, we would. You know, you get into, like, playing all the time, mm-hmm. like, when you're just fucking around. Yeah. And then that, like, transitions into actually playing. Right. So, the thing about those other guys I liked is that I didn't go to school with them, so it was, like, a different thing. And sure, sure. We weren't into all the same stuff. Right, right. It was, di- like, different levels of exposure and... It was, like, a Venn diagram. Sure. You know, but eventually, like, when you know people for a while, then you start kind of getting closer. And, yeah, like, going towards like, the middle. different... Mm-hmm. The same stuff because you're on gym so much. Really. Right. That was like, yeah, I was 17. We started playing shows. And then I I just like didn't, I haven't stopped since then. Right. <laughs> then you <laughs> just kept going. So then, um, yeah, then in in reply, obviously, turned into, well, not obviously because there are uh, people that listen to this outside of Southern California. <laughs> but yeah, so in reply, basically turned into uh, As Hope Dies. I was the only one that voted against that name change also. Really? Yeah. Interesting. And like, I mean, I, I know that why the name was changed, obviously, because there was a, a bigger style shift. Huh. Um, you, you were against it just because you're like, hey, we've already been doing this for so long. No, it just, it sounds like, um, it just sounds like a metalcore band name. It's very, it, like, that that name is so perfect for that era. Like, yeah, it's, it's like, uh, as I lay dying, if hope dies, right. that band in Syracuse. Is yep. Just all these kind of participles or whatever. Right, 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 right. Hanging participles or whatever. Just three words, three word things. Like it almost didn't even matter what the words were. Uh-huh. It would just be like, <laughs> right. Like, they need to be one syllable a piece. Yeah. So I voted against. <laughs> You're like I am against this, but you got to have voted. And, yeah. And eventually, I guess the band when at the end mm-hmm. after like kind of being really bored about you kind of get like it's super easy to get limited in like melodic music very and it took me a long time probably another like three years after i quit that band mm-hmm. and started as of guys like our last show was in like october of 03 mm-hmm. and the first craft warlock show was like in january of 04 yeah so we like already like it was already like i was gonna quit and adam and i started playing other stuff right and it was like a complete reaction to that it was like atonal sure like yeah there's no no melodicism there's no vocals at first it was just all samples and music right it was like meant to be instrumental right so when did like obviously like you're saying is a direct reaction like graph orlock was a direct reaction of obviously you becoming musically bored with what was happening (laughs) with that so dies um so when when did the idea for graph orlock kind of like start to you know percolate in your head (laughs) Adam and I have a lot of, like, stupid ideas, which are typically expressed in the artwork of Graph Warlock. And we did a bunch of stuff. Um, We had, like, a bunch of, like, one, like, one theme, like, stupid fake bands. Of course. we'd, like, mess with at practice. Okay. And one was, like, a kind of a grindy band called Dead Babies on Ten Foot Pikes. (laughs) Great name. Great name. (laughs) And one of those songs eventually became a Gorlock song. But the name... (laughs) Uh, we had a bunch of like fake. We had this one that was like there was another fake band called Vehicular Manslaughter. Okay, that was it. Was like it almost exactly it had like samples and it was like grindy and it's what 
like the idea just turned into. So like basically, there were a bunch of jokes that you guys were obviously like participating in at the practice space. Yep. That all eventually kind of morphed. They like coalesced into an actual band <laughs> that people still think is a joke. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's uh. That is that's pretty incredible. I didn't know because I mean I remember you know shortly after obviously you were done with As Hope Dies like Graf Orlock quote unquote hitting the scene and obviously you know playing shows and stuff like that. Yeah, by the time by like the time we had the last As Hope Dies show, yeah, like we had already written like eighty Orlock songs and like we're about to start playing shows. So. Right, right. You were already wanting to hit the ground running, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Which, which we did. It was like another year and we started touring. Right. Like, in 05 was the first school out tour. That was just, like, it would, for whatever people think that band is, yeah. and, like, if they think it's a joke or not a joke, it's not a joke. But right. uh, whatever you think about the music, from, for me, coming from, like, that kind of, like, locked-in metalcore thing where you can play three parts, it's like a breakdown, a blast, right. a one-two fast beat. Like, sure. Like, it's, uh, it was, like, completely open. Right. You know, you... Especially playing like purposefully atonal music, right? You can play like, oh, I want to put a black metal part right here. Yeah, this one is like crazy, ridiculous part right here. Sure, there's no, there's no real limits because you've set forth this, you know, <laughs> ridiculous, crazy narrative where it's just like, yeah, like we can kind of do whatever we want. I still I didn't read the narrative about about this band, right? That is kind of always been like the one of the most entertaining parts. Aside from violent shows, right? It's I got I was talking to someone from Vice a couple of days ago. Okay, about this new seven inch. Sure, well, I probably went to, and awesome. uh, she was like asking me about like the backstory. Oh, about sure, how, like we're uh, so you guys were film students at UCLA and all this stuff, and I'm like, yes, it still is like following us around. I, I, that's and honestly, that's yeah. I mean, that's something we'll hit on a little bit later. Obviously, <laughs> once we get into the the deeper. Kevin's dead. I think he's dead still. Everyone. Oh my god! <laughs> and and that's what it. It's so funny because I mean, obviously, the an interesting idea that I've always, you know, from when we started to playing bands, like because clearly, you know, when you're 16, 17 years old. Like, you, you don't have these hopes of making it. Mm. Like, you just, it's like, it, everything's right in front of you. You just, like, take one step where it's like, oh, okay, our goal is record a demo, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, and obviously Graf Orlock was born out of that same mentality where it's just like, oh, wow, it's kind of a joke. And then, like, you know, like, oh, now, now we're able to do something as a direct reaction to what we've done in the past. And, like, because clearly Graf Orlock has become this, um, entity that is so mysterious for so many people. <laughs> I love that. I know, and it, it's it, it's it's so interesting to me. To I mean, obviously knowing you guys as people, but then just like seeing the way that the public perceives you guys, and like how deliberately <clears throat> deliberately mysterious. <laughs> that, and that's honestly that's the way that I describe it. Where it's just like deliberately mysterious. It's like you know, if people don't know you as individuals, like it's. You know, it's it's this foreign concept, it, and for me, that's amazingly fun. Right. The original story was like, we had a website. We made a website like in '04 or something. I was like right. in Adam's room in his mom's house, and just like, holy shit! And I just like start typing everyone's like backstory, and then <laughs> like, and as people came in and out of the band, and be like, usually always bass players. Sure, of course. Josh, like, the story about Josh, like, he's just, like, 
his story was like he was at Taco Loco and he got into like a fight with a bunch of like Vatos when he was like hyped up on speed because he was super mad that we kicked him out. Oh, and then man. like I had the six one three one address. Okay. And I posted that online. It says like you can contact him here at like Orange County Correctional. Here's the address, Area Nation Wing. Holy <laughs> shit. That's incredible. <laughs> I was like, just texted him one day, like he had no idea. I'm like, what's your address? <laughs> That's so good. And that like that that mischievous nature. That's what it's like. I, I love it. That's like, that's it's super fun. Yeah. Just do like whatever you want. I mean, within reason, but. Well, yeah. It's like, I mean, you get the thing, the thing that I've personally perceived of obviously like the fact that you guys have become, you know, like this enigma, <laughs> it, <laughs> like, and once people that have no context for, you know, like these, like years, I mean, it's difficult for people to have context of where Graf Arlo comes from is because obviously there's so many smoke screens that are put up <laughs> deliberately <laughs> and for fun. But the thing is you guys don't do it um, maliciously. Like I, I look at a band like, uh, and not to say that they're maliciously doing it, but a band like fucked up where it's just like, you know, they, you know, they deliberately started the band because all, you know, the members like hated each other and they felt like it would make, you know, interesting music because they did. And so it's like, but they have so many different like narratives because it's like, you know, they don't have the same shared story. It's like you interview one guy, he has this story about the band. You interview another guy, he has a completely different story about the band. And so it's just seeing like not drawing the complete parallels between you two, but it's like, you know, because you guys are actually like close to one another and are friends and then you're able to dictate. They have this weird like smoke screen, a good word, weird art smoke screen. Sure. That is like, in some ways, I don't know, I've always been kind of, I mean, since 2003, mm-hmm. like, when we started Fresh. Right. And various permutations of, like, I've always tried to be very conscious of, like, how stuff is, like, represented. Mm-hmm. Because I don't like that. I don't like... Uh, totally. Really, like, internet-y stuff. Sure. You know, um, like, stuff like that. I, I think it's, like, important to, like even if you're going to be a band like that, mm-hmm. to, like, be, have some legitness about it, and I think, like, stuff that comes across as disingenuous. Sure. That, that's the thing, is that I think, like, it, we totally come across as, like, assholes and, like, confusing people. And, right. But it's, like, not, like, fake, I guess. Sure. So. Well, it's, be, yeah, it's because it, I think there's a huge difference. It, the whole assholeness nature of Graphical Rock <laughs> is, I mean, that's, that's the voice, like, and, like, if people take any time to obviously, like, get to know, like, you know, the band or in any way, shape, or form, they realize, okay, like, that's the shtick. Like, I mean, I, I use the word shtick not in a pejorative sense, you know, yeah. it's like, that's, that's, like I said, that's the voice. And I just find it funny because it's like, you know, not like you mentioned Vice, where it's like, you guys have obviously crossed over into this weird, like, you know, obviously, like, hardcore kids, like, a kid that, you know, goes to, a half heart show, like clearly has no idea of who Graf Warlock is, or maybe like maybe some of them do, yeah. but like now you've definitely crossed over into this weird, like sort of, you know, hipster kids are allowed to hi- to like you guys because you're in this, you know, mysterious, mysterious hardcore. Right. Yeah. Mysterious, actually, <laughs> mysterious that's, hardcore guy. Mysterious yeah. hardcore. Yeah. That could probably be a whole different genre in of itself, but it, yeah, there's a bunch of mysterious hardcore guy bands. Yeah. And so I, I just find it, I find it so interesting. Like, do you, have you noticed, like, you know, what changes have you noticed as, like, the kind of band has gone on and, like, you have, you know, received major coverage in Decibel? Like, obviously, Decibel loves you guys and you love them. Yeah, they're, 
kind of became friends. Yeah, the Andrew Bozzanelli guy, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Because <clears throat> I know you put out a book by him as well. Yeah, two books. Two books, right. Um, and so, yeah. like, you know, have you noticed people, you know, have you noticed, like, the crowds changing? Or, like, how is that, you know, kind of? Uh, no, yeah. actually. Still pretty much the same? Is, uh, this is what's always strange, like, being in a lot of different bands that mm-hmm. are different, like. Right. But between, like, Graf Warlock and then Ghostland sure. and Dangers, mm-hmm. there's, like, a little bit of overlap. That's true. Because of uh, touring and, like. Yeah members and whatever right but like the reactions are always like completely different or like i typically you can tell like when gorlock and dangerous tours together which mm-hmm. we've done a couple times you can tell who's there for who interesting like there'll be a kid with a hard shirt on or be a kid with a ceremony shirt on that's right. like 17 and you're like not here to see gorlock right. <laughs> and you're like you're here to see dangerous. and then a lot like when we were in australia it was funny because those kids would all leave after Dangerous would play. Weird. And then all these, like, just random people sure. would be there for Gorlock. Right, right. Who, like, aren't necessarily, don't look like hardcore kids or right. or just, like, weirdos. Sure. Some, like, straight-up crazy punk dude. And then one girl in Melbourne that's there because she, like, is a movie freak and got into it. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, you guys, are, you guys are definitely able to pull from so many different crowds, and it's... It's frustrating to me, though. Sure. That, like, dynamic at, at shows or, like... Um, like we were talking about melodicism and like mm-hmm. versus atonality, <laughs> right? Like Ghostland, it took me a couple of years before I wanted to like really play melodic music anymore. Uh-huh. But I loved like you know like propaganda and hot water music and all that. Stuff. Of course. And that band is geared towards doing that and like having lyrics about things I care about. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. It's not vapid, but it's always like a fight with like between Gorlock and that band and people like. Would, or just like confused sometimes, or do you, do you find people like choosing a side? Like they're like, oh, I fucking love Ghostland, but I hate Graf Warlock. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> which, which is like, I don't know, for a while, for like a year, Adam was in Ghostland, right? Also, so it was, it was kind of like strange. I, I mean, aside from the fact that like I sing in both bands, it's really like they sound different they the, yeah it's just basically i've always viewed it where it's just like you know it's a different side of your musical perspective where it's just like there are commonalities because like you said you play in the band but <laughs> there's musically it's you know very different this so it's always weird to me when, when i'm just like this band sucks and this band doesn't <laughs> or like vice versa right 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 and then dangers is like a whole other thing yeah well that's yeah that's because and when did you start playing with dangers mm. Oh nine, yeah, I guess. But we did. There's two LPs before the second LP, so. right? Um, but that's like a whole other bag of uh, interestingness, like hardcore webpage <laughs> mayhem. Yeah, yeah, no, there's, there's definitely, uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of baggage within that. But <laughs> that's that's a whole different podcast yeah. in and of itself. That's where that's where we have Alan as well, <laughs> um, and so. The, I mean, obviously, a insanely important part of Graf Orlock is obviously like movie samples and everything you do. And I always found it like I just remember, I mean, because I know that I think it was either you or Adam that I was talking to, where it's like when I was working at Century Media, where I was like, this would be fucking hilarious if we put out a Graf Orlock record, like not and not like as a joke, but just like this would be great. More people need to hear of this. And that I mean, it never occurred to me, but it was like 
you guys are unsignable from just like <laughs> yeah. uh, like a more mainstreamish. That's like I was talking about this with someone yesterday. That yeah, it's like a built-in kill switch. One hundred percent. You're like <laughs> not interested. Do you, do you want to clear these fucking forty movie clips? Yeah. Like, yeah, go go ahead and go to 20th Century Fox. See if they'll clear any of that. Yeah, but I, and so like that. I mean. That wasn't probably your intentional thought, but it was just kind of a byproduct of something that you guys were obviously... The samples the, the samples came from the fact that I hate on-stage banter from singers. Okay, I can see why you love Taken, then. <laughs> it was, it was inter-song so that no one could talk. The, okay. And that there's no singer, sure. originally. So right. it was like, it made it like a kind of cohesive thing. And then, uh-huh. yeah, as like that... Before we were really playing shows, like, as that became what it became. Right. It, and then we're just like, yeah, it's like cinema grind. Sure. And every, like, every other time I do, like, stuff for new records or, like, an interview or something about... Right. And Gorla comes up, people are just like, how do you feel about this label that everyone hates being applied to you, cinema grind? It's like, I made that up. Yeah, and you're it's like... It's funny. It's hilarious. And they're like, oh, okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> or, like, you see... Online, you're like, I don't know why it's called Cinema Grind. It's really stupid. I don't know why people call it that, but it is, it's like... You're like, it's we, like, we labeled it's it. It's like super funny because I, I thought that it would be a funny splinter genre, like, you know, like... Oh, yeah. Porno grind. Or like oh, totally. Door grind or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Like, here's Cinema Grind. Yeah. Yeah, enjoy. <laughs> yeah. But there, there's definitely... Yeah, um, it's technically unsignable, so... Right. Which is, yeah, like you said, it's 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 a byproduct. It wasn't the, I mean, you guys, obviously, like, like I was saying, the band wasn't spawned from like, hey, let's get signed and get big and make a living out of this. <laughs> which is a, which is why it was, it's gratifying now because it, like the origins are like organic. Yeah. Because it, when it started, it was just like, let's do whatever we want and like play, we just played a shitload of shows. Right. People were like, what? Like it makes right. no sense. And like toured and. We eventually did put out a couple records on another label. On, yeah, on level, level plane, right? But which is still like, I mean, it's yeah, it's under the radar, completely. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I get kind of worried about it occasionally. But yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure you're just like, well, yeah, technically someone could co- come after us, but you know. I'm pretty worried right now because I got a, a pre-order <laughs> those new seven inches. Yeah, about yeah, heat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like a week ago, I got a pre-order for, like, three of the covers from the director. Really? Wow. And I'm, like, worried. So is, is it, like, they, they just pre-ordered the record? Just three covers. Wow. Interesting. From the actual director. Like, it was his actual name on the pre-order. Yeah, in wow. In Beverly Hills. That's insane. So I'm, I'm hoping that that's just interest and not trying to sue me. Yeah, Like, yeah, you would yeah. think that they would... Because... If, if it's the, I mean, if it's the director, it's probably just the f- sheer curiosity of it. I'm guessing. I mean, right. considering it's from '95. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But as a as a label, I have gotten cease and desist letters before. Interesting. But never for Gorilla. From who? it was for Owen Hart. From like Owen oh, Hart's from family the rest. Yeah, 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 yeah. From the rest. Wow, that's funny. They're like, stop using this name. Wow. And did you just ignore it? I like forwarded it to them. Yeah, you're like, like not in the band. You're like, sorry, I would pass this message along. They could do with it what they yeah. want. And since I had to change your name, interesting, or license the name of a dead wrestler. Yeah, right. So yeah, they, their first LP was it's called Owen Hart, and the LP was called Earth Control, and they've since changed your name to Earth Control, and they're doing a seven inch called Dead Wrestler. 
Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's so perfect. Gosh, I, lo- I love the randomness that comes up with cease and desist. Well, I, I like I said, I, I think I think you'll be okay. I think he's probably just ordering that out of sheer. I mean, that that's super flattering that for whatever reason he's able to stumble across it. Well, it was the day that this LA Weekly article came. Oh, out. there you go. And like, it wasn't meant to be like this, but the headline was: Graph Warlock's new EP, Los Angeles, is all about the movie Heat. That's what it says in that. So he 100% was like, oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and I get it, and I'm just like, it's like the feeling that you get when you get arrested. Yeah. It's like, oh, shit. And you're like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and obviously, with the, you know, like you were mentioning, you guys played a shitload of shows. And now, at this point, you guys, <clears throat> I'd say that, what, maybe 70% of the touring that you do is all international? Yeah. Since 08, basically. Right. And that's probably just out of the fact that it's more enjoyable to tour other places yeah. in the United States. Yep. Yep. I mean, by <laughs> by 07 or 08, when we did the last Graph World like, US tour, we had done the US like in some permutation like 10 times, you know? Right. And and then you, when you start like recognizing gas stations in Texas, you know, it's like time to go do something You're else. Like, we got to scale back a little bit. <laughs> I, I, is that also a function just based on the fact that obviously uh, people have completely separate lives that aren't able to tour, you know, 200 yeah. days out of the year? Yeah, I mean, we all, we always only toured on, like, school breaks. Right. So it's like winters, springs, and summers. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, we do plan some time in the future, like, before we're done doing, like, a U.S. tour again. Right. But um, I don't know. It's, like, so much more fun to, like go and play for, I don't know. It's like your, the grass is always greener thing. Very true. I mean, like the coasts are always really good. Mm-hmm. Middle of the country is like, you got to drive there. Yeah, a lot. exactly. So, uh, and in Europe, everything's closer and you kind of like, you arguably get treated better. In your yeah. Places to stay and you get well, food. I, I think it's, I think it's a common, anybody that's ever done anything over there realizes that it's like, Oh, like they're, it's a completely different touring network. Like yeah, it's, they haven't, and what's sad to me here coming back mm-hmm. every time <laughs> you're like, oh. is like they have this infrastructure that we don't have right here for like, particularly in Southern California, there's like venues last for a year yep. and then you get shut down. House shows are like almost impossible. Right. Um, you just have to be in the neighborhood where you don't care at all. Right. Um, other venues like, like. You don't want to play in L.A. Like playing in venues like bars in L.A. So yeah, it's terrible. We played Troubadour together that one time. I know. I remember. Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> like people, all these metalheads, like, oh my, three bucks back. Yeah, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. I've never been called gay more than that show or faggot. Actually, I wouldn't say gay. <laughs> faggot. It's, it was. It was a very violent. <laughs> I remember. Yeah, it was like a twelve dollar show, and they wanted their three bucks back. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> uh, but in in Europe, they have like. I was talking to someone in Japan about this a couple last week or whenever I was there, and mm-hmm. uh, about how their views of like being into hardcore are totally different. Yeah, like in Japan, they have. I mean, there's people that are way into it, but they have like a different setup of priorities. It seems, mm-hmm. and here people will, like go at it, and then they like burn out right. early. Well, because. I, I think I think you've hit on something there where it's 
because it's obviously so much more easily accessible just because of the sheer volume of people we have here. Mm -hmm. Not to say that, you know, Japan has... <laughs> but the scenes are huge everywhere around here, you know, or like right. in the U.S. there's kids, you can go play anywhere and people go mm -hmm. to shows. Sure. And where, whereas in like Japan has like these hot spots. Yep. But they like, I think because of that, they, you know, it's like dudes are like... 35 and they've been the same band for like 15 years. Right. And they're really good. Right. You know, but there's no like super rush. You'll play like a couple times a year. Well, you look at Envy. I mean, give me a break. Envy. Yeah. Like they, they play once, maybe twice in Japan a year. Don't, if that. Don't mess. Don't mess. Yeah. But here, yeah, it's like something you do when you're younger. People are like 22 and 23 and then they're done because they get like their normal job and they like, you know, did that for a while. Right. Exactly. And in Europe, it's, they're like, I mean, there's those similarities, but they have like lifetime punks. Like that's true. One yeah. dude that's like 50 with one dread that runs a squat that still does shows every night. Right. And he's been there for 25 years. Right. That's who he is. That's what he does. And regardless of their like political standing, which most of them are, you know, the autonomous zones, like they're anarchist based, but sure. They're city or state funded. So as an art and cultural space, so that allows for like, they can pay bands well. Right. They can buy food. Right. And here it's like... Yeah, there's no subsidies. Yeah. It's clearly, it's obviously there's... I mean, it, even in Canada, there's obviously factor and there's grants that bands yeah, can utilize. We don't, yeah, we don't, we don't get anything. And and now, like, I don't ever feel, like, old yeah. at shows or anything like that, but I hear people say that all the time. Like, Or if you're in a band long enough, I mean, like, Gorlock's been a band for almost eight years now. Right. And people go like, oh... You know, oh, that band just put out a record. That band's still together. I used to listen to them when I was, like, 18. Yeah. You know, like, just because you, you dropped out. Right, exactly. Bands don't exist anymore. Right. They, they, they still keep going on. <laughs> it's kind of weird. They, there's definitely, like, in this country, I think, a really big, like, focus on, not like it is in other places, but age and, like, how people feel about their age. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is kind of, like always sad usually <laughs> mm -hmm. no totally i feel like that there is some i mean because i'm i'm 32 or i'm 31 going on 32 and the idea of me being like the old guy at the show like you know that that's that's true now like mm -hmm. i'm older i'm you know some kids are 17 and it's like you know they like i'm clearly way older than them yeah. but like you said i i personally don't feel old because that that's been my home i've gone to shows for years but it's like people that might be you know have gotten into it later it's like once they start to feel that sort of like, like the ageism not because not because anyone's directing that towards them that's just like the insecure feeling and mm -hmm. because it is a youth culture movement mm -hmm. you know they drop out like yeah. for the, those same exact reasons but and then i mean not that i i go to shows like every day but right. i still play a lot of shows and of course i went to some really awesome shows this last weekend mm -hmm. Uh, saw Hot Snakes play on Thursday. Oh yeah, Alex's Bar. Oh shit! They, I, I heard they did not mess around. They rip. That's awesome. And, and they, talk about old guys. I mean, yeah. And they still are vital. Unstoppable. Yeah. I would elect President Vice President. Right. <laughs> Dude, he's yeah. There, <laughs> I, I back that ticket. <laughs> and then the day after, I saw John K. Hampson at the Troubadour. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. That guy. He's unbelievable. He's that his new record's amazing. Yeah, really, really good. First time I saw him play was in 98, mm -hmm. 99 at Coos. Yeah. And then saw him the next year and they came around and I yep. just like, I can't get enough. No, he's, he's, he's incredible. And that, yeah, it's, it, 
Well, but what I'm saying is that, like, it's kind of uh, nice. Well, now that, like, the generation that's ahead of us right. in music, there's, like, you see people, like, that are, I guess, 40 now. Sure. Maybe a generation and a half. Ahead of us. Right, right, right. People, like, that were in punk bands that used to go see, like, Avail or right. things like that, like, doing different stuff. Yeah. Like, Tim Berry's still playing, there's different, Chuck Reagan's doing different sure. stuff. Sure. And, uh, like, John K. Samson, like, after Paul Gandhi and then Weaker Than Weaker Ends, yeah. It's like, that is cool to me. Or even, like, a, I guess, like, the dudes in Propaganda are, like, 40. Yeah. But they rage, you know? Yeah, totally. And they came to this spot where they could do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's, like, a self-managed. It's, like, yep. it was their own label for a long time. And yeah. Like, that is inspiring in a way because you don't have to give up because people think you're too old. Yep. No, totally, totally. I, I, honestly, and I, it strikes me, like, obviously, I mean, you, you do a record label, Vitriol, and, like, it, that... In some ways, like that play, in my opinion, that probably plays into like what you're trying to create as well, where it's just like this, this, you know, this cottage industry in a way where it's just like, I'm able to do this, like, you know, I, in to the foreseeable future, mm. because obviously it's like, you know, you're not, you don't have these insane expectations of what the label can do. It's like, you know, you're not yeah. marketing, like you're, you're, I mean, you're marketing, like in the sense of you're getting it out there but you're not, you know, it's like, oh, I need to take out a full-page ad revolver and all these other things yeah. that... That's, well, I mean, that's the best part about doing stuff on, like, a small scale mm-hmm. and not having to deal with anybody else. Mm-hmm. It, and, like, originally, like, Level Plane disappeared. Right? right, yeah. So we were, we did a couple records with him, and then we were going to go on tour in 09, and um, it was Ghost on the Graph Warlock, and I was like, we have these two new records. I guess I'll just put them out. Yeah. It was just out of, spawned out of necessity. <laughs> and then from there, uh, I was like, why didn't I do this before? <laughs> You're like, this is, I mean, it's not easy, but obviously it's. It makes sense though. It's like, totally. Especially if you at shows a lot and stuff like that. Like, and, um, from then it was, it became like with all our friends bands and people that we toured with in different places and stuff. It's kind of like. I feel in LA in particular, mm-hmm. there's like a whole lot of different bands that we know that we're friends with. And it's kind of like a documentation of stuff that's going on. Sure. It's like I, bands, like I said, like bands around you start and break up like in five minutes. Definitely. And there's a lot of really good bands that no one ever hears. Mm-hmm. So. You're trying, you're in a way, you're obviously trying to capture that with the records that you're able to put out from, you know, I mean, cause it, it's, even though it all falls in the sort of, you know, hardcore punk genres in a way, um, you're trying to capture what those bands are doing at that special moment in a way. Yeah. Even like, I don't know if you've heard this band forming, mm-hmm. but it's, it's way like, mm, like archers of loaf. Okay. Kind of eat. And they, they had members of all the bands on the label. Sure. Like, uh, dude who goes with them and other people. Right. And, uh, that was like totally different sound, but right. it was like, you know, all the same dudes, yeah. doing different stuff. And like, since then they've broken up, you know? Right. But, like, huh? <laughs> but people like, I get emails all the time about that record. It's just a seven inch there. Right. And people are like, Oh, I love the nineties. Right. That. <laughs> I love the nineties. Give me that. Um, and so, and with your personal life, um, because you've, like you said, you've just basically toured on breaks. And so, and obviously Graf Orlock and Vitriol 
you're not able to make a sustainable mm-hmm. living off of that. Um, it pays for itself. Right. You're, right. you're able to sustain it and keep moving it forward, but not obviously be like, oh, cool, I'm making 30 grand this year because of Graph Warlock. Yeah, it pays my phone bill only. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so you've, uh, and you've been teaching at uh, Long Beach State for, since you said, like 2008? Yeah. Um, and was that something that you were always like, you got, you know, you always knew you kind of wanted to teach? Um, like halfway through, uh-huh. I started in like right after high school in 2000. Okay. I went straight to Long Beach sure. and did my BA and then I finished my MA in 06. So I went straight through that too. Mm-hmm. And when I was going into grad school, I like decided that I wanted to do that because it's cool. You just get to stand around talking about things you like all day. It's very true. There, I always, I've had a few conversations about this, but the parallels between like getting up on stage and getting up in front of people, like, you know, in, in a teacher perspective, it's like, there's a very real connection there. And like, you yeah. see like, I mean, random examples, but it's like, you know, like the singer of stretch Armstrong, it's like a decent amount of people. I feel like from the hardcore scene and punk scene have gone on in some capacity to like teach in some way. Yeah. yeah. Um, and like, so does it, you know, do, do you see the parallels? Like, do you get that sort of same sort of, you know, teaching ish feeling like being able to share something? Yeah. Sometimes, well, there's like a, like uncomfortable, Right. But there's like, there's always like nervousness when you're talking in front of like, you have to talk for like an hour and 15 minutes in front of 60 people. Yeah. Who mostly are just there because they have to be. Right, right. So (laughs) you, uh, there's that kind of feeling and like before you play, it's like the same thing. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I, I definitely see the the parallels because you have to like, you kind of like have to force yourself to do it. Sure. And there's like a little bit of like aggressiveness in there because you, you have to be like, all right, you have to, right, exactly, and <laughs> and then people and people respond to that because they they don't see you as like some weird weakling. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> right, some some you know wallflower that's just be like, oh, we can walk all over this teacher. And it shows. I mean, we're like playing. It's the same thing. You have to like you're kind of like putting yourself out there. So you have to, yeah, you have to engage the audience. You have to do it with reckless abandon. Right. That's, Otherwise, that's... it's like. Uh, not the, not for like the benefit of people watching, but for your own benefit. Of course. You know, like you're doing it, you're playing for a reason, so you should do it for that reason instead of being like weird and right. Yeah. About it. But, like I'm going to be super introverted. So, yeah. No, that's not. No one. Don't ever play shows. Right. <laughs> yeah. Just stay in your garage. Um, what do you What do you teach? History. Okay. Well, yeah. That's and I can see why that's obviously like you said. That's getting up and talking about something that you're very passionate about. Yeah, I love history. Yeah. Like, and that started from traveling. Mm-hmm. Because I wanted to know what I was looking at. Yeah. And then every year I'd go. Because I, I, like, I was always on the school schedule and touring because I went to school. Of course. And then after that, Adam went to school and then I started teaching. So we've never not been on a school schedule. Right. You're like, hey, let's pick up and uh, head out in February. It's yeah. Like, no. No. Not going to do that. Which has made it nice because you tour enough that you like going home and you're at home enough that you want to tour. Yeah, yeah. That's true. It's it's a yeah. It's a as good of a balance as there can be, obviously. But I think that's an, another reason that always appeals to people in bands because there's like you get three months off a year. Yep, that's that's very true. Where it's like it it gives them the ability to maybe pursue you know musical endeavors and yeah. Whereas I didn't really. I mean, that's always in the back of my mind because I don't like getting locked into jobs sure. that like you can't ever leave. Right. Um. But it. It definitely is like 
nice. And I did like, I thought when, when I was like finishing grad school, I was like, okay, well I might not be able to do this anymore. Right. And I don't want to not do it anymore. Sure. So, you know, yeah. you always try, you always think of like some end, but I don't see one right now. Right. Well, just, that, I mean, that's good. You've been able to like build yourself into this, this comfortable state. Paint myself into a corner. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You're good at that, right? No. <laughs> Um, and sort of to, uh, well, one random question and then I'll ask another one to sort of wrap things up. Um, do, have any of your students have any sort of concept of what you do like musically? Uh, yeah. Some kind of shows. Yeah. I don't ever like, yeah, you're not talk about it. You're not flyering in your classroom. <laughs> I should bring a web store over there. How amazing would that be? You're just, just like, hey. I have like a merch box and check out <laughs> new stuff out. <laughs> Who's if, interested in the new seven inch? There's kids that, uh, they find out sometimes. And, sure. And then they ask me about it. I'm just like, don't ever talk about that. Yeah, don't talk. You can do Pull me aside. Don't ever ask me a question in front of class. <laughs> Some kid did ask, did say, like, are you in this band? And we're like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> that must be someone else. That's my twin brother. Yeah. And just to, I mean, my department is always known. Right. And they think it's, like, cool. Sure. And stuff. Um, but you don't want it to, like, conflict with your... No. Like, you don't want people to not believe you because they don't know. There's too much in Gorlock to, like, explain to a bunch of, like, 18-year-old normals. Yeah. No, totally. That is so many different layers of the onion that it's just not, it's it's not worth peeling or not, like you said, not. Even more, some of the more palatable bands, it's like, you can't really explain that either. No. You're like, it. Like, why are you screaming? Right. It's like, uh, okay. Like, like, whatever. I don't even know where to begin with that. Um, and sort of, uh, yeah, like wrap, wrapping things up. <clears throat> the um, Something else that I've, I've noticed about, you know, kind of the way that, that you present Graf Orlock and stuff like that. Um, I mean, now you're doing, obviously, like more interviews and stuff yeah. like that. Um, but for a while, like, you know, you kind of kept that air of mystery where it's like you wouldn't you wouldn't put the band publicly out there or, you know, put yourself out there in the way where it's just like, Hey, like, you know, really like this is me as a person. I would just lie all the time. Right. That was really fun is I had to lie on every interview about, <laughs> about people dying in the band. And our, you, you, film students you students. had to like keep a narrative in your head of like, this is like, Oh yeah. I have to pull or, or you just obviously didn't even have to be consistent. Like, no, it was great. <laughs> I mean, still now, like to some degree, it's just, it's easier, like, when it was just Gorlock and the label. Right. Like, because now the label, like, kind of connects all the dots. It's true, yeah. So you, like, people are going to know who you are if you do that. <laughs> That's very true. Whereas, like, but when it's a strictly Gorlock interview, it's, like, still really fun. I like, there's, like, an article in Terrorizer last year. There's, like, a whole page oh, about man. how Kevin is dead. And, like... It says, like, oh, this new Doombox record is so pissed off because of all their angst that their singer being run over by a cement truck on the WB Backlot Studios. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's incredible. Like, I, I'm sure it's just, like, it's entertaining for hours and the shit. Like, it's kind of like a boomerang. Like, you throw it out there, and then when it comes back to you, you're just like, oh, are you fucking yeah, kidding me? Anywhere, anywhere we tour, someone's just like, so, uh, I don't know if I should ask, but uh, how did the singer die? Like... Oh, it's cool. I'll tell you. I mean, you know, or like, oh my god! Even something as like as like simple as like the insert for the Doombox thing. It's yeah. just like 
it's so entertaining because you it's like oh, super sarcastic. One hundred percent. I mean, like you can't like on the CD face of, of that thing. There's like executive producer names right. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And I just put that in like a Middle Eastern name generator, and then I <laughs> I put it on the CD and <laughs> and like you you look on like discogs and it says like produced by <laughs> Muna Basma's body. Yeah. So good. That's so good. So what does uh what do you have in the foreseeable future, whatever next like six months that you have for uh, you know, Ghost Slim Dangers and all the uh, all the stuff you have going on? Uh, I know you met, obviously Graf Warlock has the new new record or new seven inch that's new, coming out. Yeah, it technically came out Tuesday. Okay, there you go. Street uh, date, man. You gotta stick street date, yeah, right? Four ten. Street date. Four ten. There you go. Very arbitrary. Yeah, just, there it we go. comes out when it when I have Right. Um so that Los Angeles Sun just came out in all of July. We're doing a European tour, like getting on the festivals and stuff. Sure. Right before I went to Japan, we just finished a new Gosum LP. Okay. It's going to come out in probably June. Nice. Because I'm trying to do one a year. There's like a trilogy of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you, want, uh, you want to keep that going, obviously. The, the ghosty thing. Right. And then uh, Dangers is, Dangers and Warlock, we, like last week, a week and a half ago, we just got back from the Japanese tour. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there will be a record at some point. Yeah. Dangerous is just like... Getting everybody on the same page. It's ridiculous. I can only imagine. And then, you know, label, label stuff. Yeah. All those records I'm going to put out. Right, of course. All those that you're going to put out and then all the other stuff that you're going to put out. And then maybe a new Comadre record. Oh, nice. That'd be great. So there you have it. You can find out more about Justin and all of his bands at graphorlock.com. You can also find his record label. And, uh, yeah, tune in next week for another new show. I'm not going to tell you who the guest is because I want to keep you in suspense. So subscribe, check it out, email, tweet, etc., etc. Thanks for your support. <laughs>